All right, just a word of warning. Um, I feel jazzed this morning, so some of you have already experienced that, but there's just something that's put me on edge this morning. I'm not quite sure what yet, so um, just just a pre-word of warning. Last week, we talked about, and I said, I told you that I knew something about every single one of you. I knew that you wanted to be good. You wanted to be good. You wanted to have good behavior. You wanted to be seen as a good person. But something else that I said, good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. When it comes to behavior, good is the enemy of great because we have good handled. If we want a greater righteousness, we've got to pursue something beyond us. We've got to pursue a greater God. We've got to pursue the greater God that has a greater righteousness so that we can find a greater righteousness. Good is the enemy of great. And, and, and if we want a greater heart, like what we looked at last week, we have to pursue a greater righteousness. We, we looked at the, 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 the first two of six practical examples of what Jesus talked about, of what, what it looks like to have a greater righteousness. The first two of six where we talked about uh, a greater heart, a greater heart, doesn't defame people, and it doesn't condemn people. And a greater heart, greater heart doesn't lust. But a greater heart, when we do those things, when we do those things, when we come across those things, and we, we do them, the greater heart goes, mm, and we want to pursue something different. Something different. So I don't know about you, but this past week, you know, um, my heart's been a little bit more in high alert. Like, ooh, I think that's maybe a little bit too harsh with them in my heart, right? Because we say a whole lot more stuff to ourselves than we do to people, right? Yeah, yeah. Or on Facebook than we do to people, but that's, that's a separate thing. Or, or my heart goes, oh. You look too long at her. You look too many times at her. Had, had, had somebody define lust this way. Looking once, that's not lust. I mean, shoot, none of us would get married if, if we weren't like turned on, right? Looking once isn't lust. But if you go around the block again, that's lust. And if you go around the block the third time, there's two words for that. Restraining order, right? <laughs> So a greater heart wants something more, something more than what our culture would give or say that that would be okay because our pursuit of a greater righteousness because we are pursuing a greater God says good is the enemy of great. There's also something else that I told you last week. I told you that we needed to get our big boy pants on, right? But there's something else. That every one of these six, as Jesus progresses through these six of, of practical examples of what it looks like to have a greater righteousness, every one of these six, as he progresses, gets more and more intense. So today, you have to put your big, big boy pants on. Okay. Next week, when Phil preaches, you've got to put your big, big, big boy pants on and be ready for that. And it, it's just kind of ironic that every time you know, the hardest topics come up, I leave. I'm gone. <laughs> so just ironic how it happens that way. You know, those sorts of things. But there's something else that I know about every one of you. Something else that I know. I know that you all want to be trusted. You all want to be trusted. 
Like if we, if we, if we gave you a, a card, a piece of paper, and it had one question on it, do you want to be trusted, yes or no? You know, and you don't have the junior high, you know, you know cop out, or yes or no? Do you want to be trusted? Every one of you would check yes. Yes. And if you checked no, we just watch you more closely. Everybody wants to be trusted. But, but, are we willing to pay the price to be trusted? Are we willing to be, pay the price to be trusted? See, something else that I said last week. There's, there's a gap. When we are pursuing good, there ends up being a gap. A gap between what we want, we want to be trusted, and what's reality. There's a gap there. And as disciples, for those of us that are disciples and a part of God's kingdom, our goal is to narrow the gap as close as possible between what we want and what is reality. So we want to be trusted, but what is reality? What is reality? And are we willing to pay the price to be trusted? So we're going to be in Matthew 5, starting in verse 31. You can open up a hardbound Bible or follow along on a smartphone or tablet. Here to serve is our, is our Wi-Fi code. You can, you can uh, hook on to the Bible app and see our live events. Or we're going to throw the verses up on the screen. But, 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 but can we be trusted? As disciples of Christ, can we be trusted? And the video... Uh, the, the, the video was, was kind of uh, us as a creative team going, man, what if Jesus was cam- campaigning for political office and he was having a stump speech? And what if his disciples were his speechwriters editing his speech? Because Jesus did have a stump speech. It's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going through. We're five weeks in a ten-week series of looking at the ten different platforms of Jesus that, we, that He tells us to stand on when we are in His kingdom, citizens of His kingdom. And so, here we go. Can we be trusted? Are we willing to pay the price to be trusted? Matthew 5.31, you have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. And some of you already are going, ah, eat that sermon. Right? Uh Uh-oh, here we go. I told you, get your big, big boy pants on, all right? And Jesus here is quoting Deuteronomy 24. You've heard it said that you can give a written certificate of divorce. Oh, where are we headed here? Jesus says, but I say to you. See, what the deal is, is that we have Scripture to help interpret Scripture. So Matthew 19, the Pharisees pressed Jesus into explaining more about what this is, what this means. The Pharisees are like, hey, didn't Moses allow us to give a written certificate of divorce? Jesus is like, yeah, because of the hardness of your heart, God gave that to you as a concession. And so from Deuteronomy to the time of Jesus living, about 2,000 years went by. And what ended up happening is that the religious leaders began interpreting that as saying, look, 
Dude leaves. Dude goes, takes his briefcase, you know, and gets on his camel and, and leaves and goes to, the, goes to his office. And, and he's sitting there and, and, and she walks by or the next model walks by and he's got the midlife crisis, this or that and the other. And he walks into his house and he's written out certificate of divorce. And he walks into, into the home and says, hey, honey, I got something for you. Here you go. It's a certificate of divorce. You have to get out now. That's what divorce was like in Jesus' day for the religious people. One person, one commentator on the Jewish law said this, if she burns a piece of toast, you can divorce her. See, so husbands are like, really? Really? Just, just know... Just know, also husbands, that next piece of burnt toast could be laced with butter with arsenic on it. Just know that. That's how easy it was to get a divorce in Jesus' day. And really, Jesus is saying, really, fellas? Really? You think this is what God intended? As we see in Matthew 19, he talks about how you know, two become one. Two become one? You think that this is what God intended? That you could just walk in? And in, in, in this day, it was a male-dominated society, so the, the woman had no chance. The women couldn't do this. The women had no chance. And you, really, guys, you think you're just walking in and, and giving her a, a piece of paper you've written on? That's what God wanted? That's what God intended? You think that's what I wanted? Really? Some of you maybe have been there. Maybe you've been there. You've come home from work to the Dear John letter. You've come home from work and she or he has packed their bags. She or he have packed your bags. Or changed the locks or whatever. And you've come home to the injustice of I'm done with you. See, this is what Jesus is coming against. The injustice of, I'm done with you. Right? Jesus is like, you've made a vow. And the one person, the one person that should be able to trust you above all else on the face of the earth, you decide you, you can't be trusted anymore. You're not willing to pay the price to be trusted? She burnt the toast, so you're walking? You're not willing to pay the price of a little bit of burnt toast? Really, guys? This is what Jesus is coming against, the injustice of guys just walking out and saying, saying my word can't be trusted anymore. And Jesus says, but I say to you that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery, a sentence that's loaded and packed. And Jesus is saying, look, let's go back to the very beginning. Remember a man leaves his parents and cleaves and the two become one. And laced with Matthew 19 of, 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 of Jesus saying, 
Whatever God brings together, let no man pull apart. Jesus is telling them, hey, look, no matter if you walk in with a certificate of divorce and saying, look, we're done, God still sees you as married. God still sees you as married. So you can walk out on her, but God still sees you as married. And he's, Jesus is going back and affirming marriage. And the two becoming one, and that nobody can pull them apart except for death. Death. And when that man walks in and says, Look, I'm done. To that woman, what is he saying? You're dead to me, right? You're dead to me. This is what Jesus is coming against. Then he gives the one clause, unless she has been unfaithful. Some of you maybe have experienced this, unfortunately. And unfaithfulness is basically saying what? You're dead to me. And then when we have been unfaithful in in our marriage vows and committed adultery, we're telling that other person that we stood there and said, I do too, you're dead to me. And Jesus tells us and God tells us that that is allowable divorce because the other person has already said, you're dead to me, but that is not required divorce. Because the heart of God is reconciliation, right? It's the heart of God. Like, well, it's tough, it's too tough, it's hard. Well, God never pretended that reconciliation was hard. How hard was it for him to reconcile with us when he didn't have to? Nobody is saying that reconciliation isn't hard heart but what God is saying is that his heart is reconciliation and no matter where you find yourself even if you're the one that is committing adultery and your heart is saying I want a greater righteousness than this that's why the church is here To help marriages be restored and reconciled. To help you have greater righteousness. Because if we were pursuing good, you can't admit you're bad. But because we're all pursuing something greater and a greater God, we can all admit our sin because we're all in the same boat. We've just broken the image of God in different ways. But what Jesus is really trying to hammer is the hard heart. The person that just says, well, who cares? He's not trying to hammer the innocent, but the one with the hard heart. There's something else that he says in here. He causes her to commit adultery. You see what Jesus is doing in his brilliance? Hey, bro, because you just don't want to stay married to her, 
And you walk in with this certificate of divorce and, and, and you just cast her aside and cast her away. You cause her to sin. Matthew 18, right before he gets questioned by the Pharisees, Matthew 18, Jesus talks about sin and, and causing other people to sin. And, and he talks about uh, church discipline and restoring and restoration in, in those relationships. And he starts out Matthew 18 by pulling kids together. And he, he talks about these kids and he says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like these, like these kids. If, if, unless you come to me like these little kids, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in Matthew 18, 6, he says this, But if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, you may say, well, he's talking about kids here. We're protecting our kids. No, 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 no. What he's doing is he's tying everybody that believes and saying, all people who believe are these little ones of mine. Oh, my kids. Trust in me to fall into sin. If you cause somebody else that believes in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Like, whoa! Where did Gestapo Jesus come in here? This is like Italian mob stuff, right? Like, you find yourself in the bottom of the Hudson River next to Jimmy Hoffa? Like... Where's the picture of Jesus and the little lamb? That picture is that he's hiding behind his back, a millstone and a rope. Like, how serious is it to Jesus when we cause somebody else to sin? Pretty serious. So what he's saying to these guys is going, look, you're causing this woman to sin. And he's not, he's really what he's doing, he's absolving the woman of responsibility because the man should have a millstone tied around his neck and drowned in the sea. This is how serious he takes this. And what he's doing, he's using a little bit of sarcasm and irony and hyperbole to absolve the innocent while condemning the guilty. Saying, look, you're guilty of injustice. Of injustice. And this is serious. In Matthew 19, when Jesus got done with his teaching on marriage, Peter, possibly the only married disciple at that time, was like, um, who then should be getting married if this is the way things are? <laughs> like, Jesus, like Peter's like rethinking this whole thing, going, I didn't hear this before I got married. This is a problem, big problem. Oh no, this is a problem. Hey boys, don't get married. Those of us that are students, we've got a lot of students here. How serious is this, right? This is big time. This isn't just like, wake up and like, who are you, right? This is big time. This is serious. 
The heart of a disciple wants to be trusted. In the marriage vow, we stand there and say, I do. Till death do us part. And we say, no matter what, no matter where you uh, squeeze the toothpaste tube from, no matter which side, the front side or the back side you like your toilet paper roll to come from, no matter if you can cook toast or not, I'm going to pay the price and stay with you. Because remember, fellas, she's paying a price to stay with you too. No matter what. I'm going to pay the price so that the one person that should trust, be able to trust me above everybody else can. Can. And Jesus is telling us a greater heart will pay the price and keep our marriage vow. Period. No matter what. Sickness. Health, rich, or poor, period. To death do us part. And you better not be the one that causes the death. My Billy Graham's wife, one time being interviewed by Barbara Walters, Barbara asked her, have you ever considered a divorce? Billy Graham's wife says, Ruth Graham, no, not divorce, never divorce. Murder, but never divorce. (laughs) Sometimes it's easier to kill than stay together, you know. But Jesus isn't isn't done. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. He kind of, he compounds these guys' sin and said, when you think that you are free to do whatever you want, you're really not. You're committing adultery when you go and marry somebody else because I still see you as married to begin with. And so maybe this poses a question for some of us and says, well, I'm, I'm maybe divorced and remarried. And is every day that I wake up, am I in sin? And what, is this, what does this mean? First of all, Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness now? Are we hungering and thirsting for a greater God right now? Are we? Because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. See, chapter 7 of of Romans is Paul's doo-doo passage. I do the things that I don't want to do and I do the things that I don't I don't do the things that I want to do and he's talking about this this wrestling between our flesh and our spirit and, and the, there's this wrestle and there's this fight and he gets to the end of chapter 7 and he says what a wretched man I am and then unfortunately we chapter break it right there it's like commercial break and then he comes back and says but there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus I'm a wretched man but there's no condemnation I'm awful. I'm a sinner. But there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that's the good news. That if we're hungry and thirsting, it doesn't matter our past. There's no condemnation in Christ. 
None. There might be self-condemnation. We might feel condemned. But there's no condemnation in Christ if we are hungering and thirsting for His righteousness. Doesn't matter our past. Period. And so in this context of divorce... Are we just simply hungering and thirsting for His righteousness? Have we owned our part and confessed our 1%, 5%, 49%, 100%? Have we owned our part and confessed? And are we hungering and thirsting for His righteousness now? Have we repented? And have we moved on? You're like, wait a minute, you, you define repentance as confession with action. How do I act now? Do I, do I divorce now? Like, no, 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 don't compound the issue here. We're going to take a page book out of 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says, whatever season you find yourself in, stay there. So repentance says, I'm in a vow right now. I'm going to give in to this vow like it's the only vow I've made. I'm going to give in to it. That's what repentance says. Repentance also says, are you amicable with the divorcee? Are you amicable? I'm not saying, are you getting coffee every week? Let's go back to last week. Are you defaming them or condemning them? Are you amicable with them? Repentance says, look, whatever's happened, happened. Either I was a non-Christian, not a good believer, or not following Jesus, or I was, and it just happened. Whatever. Past is past. Now I'm pursuing Jesus, and it's just in the past. And if there are kids involved, are we making sure that they're taken care of? This is Zacchaeus' page book. Not that he was divorced, but he made things right when he wronged. Are we justly paying our fair share to make sure everything is taken care of? Because Jesus is talking about justice here. Justice. Are we justly making sure that our part's taken from a heart that is greater? Not out of, oh God, but a heart that wants to take care of things. Because we want to be a people that's trusted. We want to keep our vows. Period. Because we want to be trusted. Even if it's at a great cost to us, we're willing to pay that price because we want people to be able to trust us. Students, you have a blank slate here, right? You have a blank slate here. And I think every one of us sitting here would go, listen to Jesus. Don't get into a vow with somebody you can't keep. Listen to Jesus. And those of us that are adults that our page is a bit scribbled on. Nobody needs to tell, you don't need a preacher to tell anybody about how difficult this is. 
where you are now? Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And we, flowing from that, are we willing to keep our vows no matter what? No matter what cost it is to us. Are we willing to keep our vows? Like I said, each progressive one gets more difficult. You're like, what's more difficult than that? Well, see, this doesn't hit everybody necessarily here. You're like, you're talking about the marriage vow, so I mean, what about everyday vow? What about the daily vow? What about the stuff that we've said we would do? Oh, Jesus gets to that. Jesus gets to that. 533. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make, make to the Lord. You're like, wait, hold on, that sounds pretty good. Jesus is quoting directly from the Old Testament and, and from the law. And you're like, wait a minute. He's kind of said something and come against it. And you're going, hold on, that sounds, sounds pretty good that we keep our vows before the Lord. I mean, where's Jesus headed with this? And he said, but I say, do not make any vows. Hold on a second. Don't make any vows. You mean, like, if I ever need to get up on the witness stand, I don't, I don't put my hand on the Bible? Or if I'm ever in public service, I don't put my hand on the Bible? Or I never, never say I will do something? Or, or what does this mean? What does this mean? Is Jesus coming against all sorts of vows? Again, remember, every one of these is kind of a satire, kind of a sarcastic hit towards these religious people finding loopholes or thinking they found loopholes in God's law in order to make themselves look good. This is no different. It says, Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. What they did with the Old Testament is that when God said, don't make, uh, uh, when God said you not must break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord, they took that very, 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 very literal. They're like, as long as I don't make a vow to the Lord, I don't have to keep it. So they're playing a junior high game of, I have my fingers crossed. I have my toes crossed. I have my legs crossed. I have my arms crossed. I have my eyebrows crossed. You know, whatever. They're playing a junior high game of, oh yeah, I know I said that, but I didn't make the vow to the Lord. So they're playing a junior high game of this. I don't have to keep my vow. I don't have to do what I said. I didn't make it by by, by the Lord. I made it by heaven. And notice the brilliance of Jesus again. Notice the brilliance of Jesus. Heaven's God's throne. What does he do? He ties heaven to God. He's like, you made it by heaven, but you still made it by, before the Lord because heaven is God's throne. Heaven's God's throne. You still made it to the Lord. He lives there. Do not say by the earth. Like, you think you're good because you said by the earth. God doesn't. Because the earth is his footstool. God's stepping on you right now. Earth is a footstool. He's here. He's just kicking back in heaven on his throne. And the earth is his footstool. Still making it by God. By Jerusalem, don't say by Jerusalem. All you see is walls. 
But Jerusalem is the city of our great king. It's God's city. Still, still by God. Still, you're still on. Still on the hook. And then, sometimes we think the Bible times are different, you know, because the tension is so great. I think Jesus in her poses a little bit of humor here. Don't even say by my head. Like, I'll, I'll do something by me because, you know, like, for you can't even turn one hair white or black. I think you probably looked at somebody. Can't even turn hair white or black. Probably a little roar of giggles through the crowd, you know. Jesus cuts through the, through the, not, through the tension with, with a little bit of humor and He's like, look, did you turn your hair white? Did you turn your hair black? I'm like, just for men, baby. No, you didn't turn your hair black, all right? What's underneath? I wouldn't go there. God does that too, right? Just like, God's kind of everywhere. He's kind of involved in everything. So your nice little flowery comments in order to get out of something, you're making it by the Lord. What I really meant was keep your vows, period. Keep your daily vows, period. Then I um, just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. See, we do, do a few things with our vows, kind of like the, the Pharisees. You know, we can uh, flower things up. You know, like, we don't often say some of the things that they said, but we can say something like, give me a stack of Bibles, right? We flower things up. And Jesus is like, why? Why flower things up? Just say stuff that can be trusted. Just say it. Because really, probably in flowering things up, what are we really saying? I don't have a clue what I'm saying. So in order to manufacture a trust, I'm going to flower it up. Another thing that we say or do is that somebody's asking us to do something, and while we're standing there, our mind is going, no, I can't, 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 you're crazy, I can't do that. And then what comes out of our mouth? Oh, sure, I can do that, not a problem, right? All the while, our mind's going, stupid, why'd you say that? What? No, I can't, I don't want to. And then what do we do after that? We find any way to get out of what we said to do. Jesus like, just say no. Just say no. Drugs are bad for you, right? Just say no. He's like, just, just don't say you will if you don't want to. And all of us probably need to be better at saying no and overextending ourselves. And then we could play games with our vows. Well, I, kinda, I said that, but I really meant that. Or, you know, we can kind of play games with that to try and loophole ourselves out of doing something we really said we would do. Jesus is just simply saying, whatever comes out of your mouth needs to be able to be trusted. 
Whatever comes out of your mouth needs to be able to be trusted. If you said you would do it, do it. No matter what the cost is to you. Personal, financial, time, reputation. Do it. Do it. If a better offer comes along, stick to your first vow. Do what you said you would do. Pay the price. Because trustworthiness comes at a price. Don't be a person that merely wants to be trusted. But be a person who can be trusted. No matter what. A few examples. Um... There's an old Disciple Now curriculum. Some of you know what Disciple Nows are, but um, there's an old Disciple Now curriculum, a weekend retreat curriculum that, that quoted about how Darwin on his we- or in his deathbed kind of recanted uh, evolution. Actually, I came across an article this week that was discussing, did he really do this? And um, according to history, <laughs> historical fact... Christians, soon after his death, fabricated this. Some of, some of the situation, some of what happened probably did occur, but not to the extent of Darwin actually denouncing his position. Christians, later, after his death, fabricated and expanded some of the story. Told a preacher lie, right? Shame on us. Shame on us. Last year, uh, some of you know I'm a, I'm a referee. Um, so I referee soccer. And last year, I, I'd accepted a game up at SBU. And, and um, I received an assignment early on in that day for uh, jury. And uh, they kind of, they, they, they ended up overlapping. I couldn't have done both. But the one at Drury paid more and was more prestigious than the one I had already accepted at, at, at SBU. Temptation, right? More prestigious, better profile, more money. Pretty good temptation. Other referees would. But every time I thought about, I'll just give, give back the SBU game and go with the Drury game, all I could hear in my head was, let your yes be yes. Let your yes be yes. So I gave back the SBU game. No, 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 no. I, I said no to the Drury game and did the SBU game. It turned out that that Drury was in a double-head match, women and men, and the the one I received first was men, and I was able to to be able to do the women and still go up to SBU, so I ended up making more money than before, but the prestige wasn't there. And I didn't know this before I turned back the game. Are we willing to be somebody of our word no matter the cost? See, it was more important to me at the end of the day 
that my assigners, I have assigners all over the place, my assigners, when they give me a game and I say yes, that they know that I'll do that game. And if I have to give back that game, it's serious. It's serious. And so us as Christians, us, those of us that, that, that believe in Jesus and want to follow Jesus and hunger and thirst for a greater God and a greater righteousness, we single-handedly on our shoulders need to want the responsibility to let handshake deals mean something, right? That our word means something. That when we bought our van, the guy that sold us uh, the, the, the van, same side of the 60 as, as this, two used car dealerships down from here. Because <laughs> Republic is the place of used car dealerships. But anyway. He reserved the van on a handshake deal. Say so we can buy it as soon as our tax return comes in. We can give you a deposit if you want. He's like, no, that's all right. I trust you. And I already told him I was a pastor and he still trusted me. I trust you. And I trusted him that he wouldn't sell it out from underneath me. And when the tax return came in, the van was still there. We walked in and we purchased the van. Can what comes out of our mouth be trusted? Because I'm kind of tired, sick and tired really of non-fans, non-Christians coming up and saying, hey, I had a Christian boss and he was a snake. I couldn't trust anything that came out of his mouth. Well, we as Crosspoint, those of us that, that say I'm Crosspoint, those of us that say I'm a follower of Christ, and more importantly than being I'm Crosspoint, that I'm a follower of Christ, I want on my shoulders the responsibility to single-handedly turn that perception around. That I want that on my shoulders. Because I do. Even so small as me telling a guy today that I'll email them. Will I? Will I pay the price and do whatever it takes to make sure I remember to do what I said I would do? That's why some of you get tons of emails from me. Communication. That's why when you reply or send something to me, I try my hardest, 24 to 48 hours to reply back. Because if you're communicating with me, it's implied that you want me to communicate with you. Try my best to reply. Because it's the industry standard that if you send something, you won't get a reply back, right? It's the industry standard, even in church, which is unfortunate. As we come to a close, I mean, I, I don't know that this is revival producing today. This is pretty practical, isn't it? Those of you that may uh, struggle with the whole church thing and struggle with the whole Jesus thing, and maybe for some of the reasons why I kind of gave today, you're like, Ooh, you're honest about you people. Um, 
yeah, I want to be. Because, you know, you see our black eyes, but sometimes we have a tendency to just put steak and makeup over our black eye and, and keep charging on. I want to be honest about where we are because <clears throat> I want to be trusted. And if you can trust me, maybe you can trust God. And if you're all wondering about this whole religion thing and this whole God thing and, 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 and all of that, um, just consider... Is it worth being a person who can be trusted? Because this is what Jesus outlines to us, being a person who can be trusted. And, and when we pursue him, when we pursue his greater righteousness, we become a person who can be trusted no matter what. We keep our vows to the one that we stood in front of and said, I do. And we keep our vows in our daily life to everybody around us, to the best of our ability. So today, this morning, as the band plays, like I said, I mean, you know, snot probably won't fly like Thursday night at camp or anything like that, but do you have a vow out there that uh, has been broken but you haven't owned? Is there something that is uh, untaken care of that you need to repent Confess and repent and maybe start the steps of action to resolve. Is there an issue coming back to is there an issue with your berries? Is there an issue with 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 with, with adultery? Is there is there an issue? Because we can we can help people hungry and thirsting for righteousness and willing to come forward and go, Oh, I've blown it. Can you help me? We can help that. We can't help hard hearts that say, forget it, forget it. We can't help that. And we can't help soft hearts that's not willing to open up. We can't help that either. I might have gifts of prophecy, but I, I'm not a fortune teller. I can't see what's in your heart. And what's ripping your heart apart. At the end of the day, we want this to be a safe place that can be trusted. And that innocent people who have been ravaged by people who won't keep their word. Or guilty people who are ravaged by their own hearts wanting something greater. That this is a safe place to open up and say, I want something greater and I need healing. So as the band plays and we reflect and we pray, something for everybody. There's something unresolved that needs the first step of resolving. And other than that, worship a greater God and hunger and thirst for His righteousness so that our I do's means something. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you give us your truth so that we can be truth-worthy, that we can be trust-worthy. I pray, Lord, that we walk in this, that we see you work, 
and see you, see you do amazing things through just a group of people saying, whatever comes out of our mouth can be trusted. Lord, I just pray that where there is brokenness, you, find, you give healing. Where there's brokenness because of injustice, you give healing. Where there's brokenness because we have been the one giving injustice, that you convict our hearts and give us healing through that. Lord, I pray that we can experience a revival and life in our heart because you have healed us today over this. In your name that I pray. Amen.